Yes, yeah, so we return this week to the great book of Exodus as we look at Advent in the shadows of Exodus. Today is part two of uh, this series and week four in our series of Advent as we look back at the coming of Jesus at his birth and we look forward to his coming again when he returns. Today, like last week, we're asking the questions, how does the book of Exodus point us to Christ and lead us into a greater understanding of who he is and what he has done for us, what he has like? How does the book of Exodus teach us to better enjoy Christ and see the beauty of his first coming and have greater hope and expectancy as we await him to come again. And so today what I want to do is remind you of where we were last week. You should remember that we followed the first really 14 chapters of the book of Exodus and we saw in a very brief summary here, we saw God's people who were enslaved in Egypt. We saw them cry out to God. And they cried out to the Lord and he heard their cries and he rescued them. You remember this. He brought them out of slavery in Egypt and he led them to a land of freedom, a land of promise. He promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. And I believe you'll remember last week and also killer grapes. Okay, so this is a good, a good place for food and a good place for delight in God. They, chapter 14 of Exodus, we see God has uh, split the Red Sea. The Israelites have gone through on dry land and then the waters literally crush the Egyptians behind the Israelites. And chapter 15, we pick up with this song and it's a song of deliverance and a song of freedom, a song of delight in a victorious God that Moses sings and everybody's celebrating and they're happy and they have hope. Chapter 16 is where we pick up today and, and everything changes. Things begin to change and things begin to change and uh, real life in a fallen world, you might say, begins. And, and, and when does this happen? Well, it takes place when all of a sudden food has ran out and everyone is tired and grumpy and hungry. And you might say, and at my house we'd say it this way, everything changed when the Israelites got hangry. Y'all know about hanger? Seriously, y'all know about hangry? Somebody hangry is probably sitting next to you right now. So, you know, uh, Katie, can you, can you pop up that picture? of uh, Annie Ruth real quick. Can we get, look at that girl. How cute is she? You know, that's, that's, my, that's my little girl. We're just gonna leave that up as we describe what hangry is, okay? <laughs> I, I wrote a definition. Hangry is the state in which an individual or in the book of Exodus, in this case, an entire people, they get so hungry that they become angry and annoying. That's hanger. It's that moment when over a lack of food, you begin to think that nothing 
is right in all of the world. And it's in this state that oftentimes people say, always and never statements, okay? And so that is hanger. Uh, to use it in a sentence, in case there's somebody who you don't really understand what I mean by this, I'll, I'll give you a sentence. It's like a little dictionary here. Uh, Annie Ruth became hangry when she woke up with an empty stomach in hope of her favorite granola bars, only to find that we were all out. She grew hangry and she screamed. Okay, that's every day of my life. That's every day of my life. I see hanger. Hanger really grows in my home. Uh, I have a one-year-old who also is quite often hangry. Okay. And, and so you may or may not know someone that is hangry. You may be a hangry person yourselves, but I want you to know one of the clearest pictures that we ever see of hanger is actually found here in scripture. And so I want to ask you, if you will, open up to Exodus chapter 16 and follow along reading with me. We're going to read verses two through four. And we see the, the hangry Israelites. <clears throat> the word of God says, and the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Now, God has literally just rescued them. He's provided for everything they needed. And yet they get into the wilderness, the food runs out and everybody begins to say, we just wish we would have died. I wish we were back in slavery in Egypt because at least when we were there, we had meat pots and bread. Now, I don't know if you realize this, but we are a people who we oftentimes forget the goodness of God. And like the Israelites, we too tend to grumble over things that God is already working out. He's already taking care of in our midst. We forget and we grumble. And that's what the Israelites did. And so before you look at their hanger and talk about how annoying they are, just remember, just remember, we oftentimes do the same thing. But they were complaining, they were grumbling, and they were grumbling to Aaron and to Moses. But yet we're told in God's word, just a few verses down, that this grumbling, it's not against Moses, but it was against who? It was against God himself. It's against God himself. God, because he is gracious and because he is kind, he is much more patient uh, than we often times are. In fact, he is the most patient being in all of the universe. God delivers for them and blesses them with the food that they craved. God gave them bread from heaven. You know about this bread? They called it manna. The reason why they called it manna, that, that is a, uh, the word manna sounds like uh, the, the phrase that means, what is it? And so they had this stuff that God gave them. They said, what is this? And they're like, we'll call it that. It's manna. It's manna. See, for the, the, the people of God, 
they had forgotten so quickly that God was a provider. And yet there in chapter 16, after they grumble, they don't deserve anything. God graciously is going to provide for them bread from heaven. Psalm 78 describes this bread as bread the angels eat. How cool is that? Seriously, God gives them bread straight out of heaven. This manna, this bread, they said tasted like wafers of honey. I don't know about you, that sounds pretty, that sounds pretty good to me. I would imagine that heaven bread is really good. We have something similar to heaven bread here at Alberta Baptist Church. I don't know if you realize it, but Doris Barton, wherever she is, there she is right there in the front row. That girl can make some mean bread. Have y'all ever had that bread before? Maybe she just makes it for me, but thank you. Thank you. It's so good. I wouldn't say it's heaven bread, but it's got to be close to it. It's got to be close to it. And if you put a little honey on it, man, it's right. But here's the thing. The Israelites, they grew hangry and God provides for them bread. He gave them bread in the morning and he gave them meat at night, carbs in the morning, protein before bed. That's what God did. He gave them quail at night. He gave them this bread in the morning. He told them to get as much as they needed for the day. On the sixth day, get a double portion because on the seventh day, you need to rest. He's teaching them something that he's gonna give them in the law, but he's teaching them about a day of rest. But he gives them just enough bread for them to get all that they would need for that day. In fact, he told him, he said, don't get too much, you know, because they, they, he knew there were people like me and there were people like you that would say, okay, somebody's going to get too much bread tonight. Let it be me. Okay. And so they got that bread. He probably stuffed it like in all their pockets and, and everything. And, and by the next morning, you remember what happened to that bread? That, that bread had worms in it and it smelled bad. That, I used to have some of that manna in my car. Um, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure, you know, you forget about it. But, but this, was, this was bread that God gave. He gave them exactly what they needed. He taught them how he not only cared about their physical needs, but he was able to sustain them in every part of their life. Uh, this past week, the, the Lord, I believe, taught our staff a lesson similar to this. Now, we were not grumbling. In fact, we found ourselves, at least I know myself and, and several of us, we found ourselves praying. And we were asking God if he would work out uh, for our good the budget for this year. We, we were on Monday morning, we were, uh, maybe you shouldn't say this stuff publicly, but I will, it's, it's what it was like. We were, we were down $42,000. That's what we were down for the year. And we've had a great year and there's a lot of things that have gone into that. And so really, I was really proud of where we were at this point, but yet was asking the Lord, Lord, can you provide even this amount? It doesn't seem attainable. It doesn't seem like we could possibly reach this, but can you do a work and can you give us the finances that we need? Can you provide for us what, what we need for, for this year? By Wednesday night, we had no deficit. I want to, I want you to know we're going to celebrate for just a second because God provided, God provided last Sunday and he provided $35,000 offering last Sunday morning from his people here. You know how good that is? Can we clap? 
And it was just a really sweet reminder because God showed me in that moment, he provided for the need that we have, but he provided through the people. He provided through the people. The Lord has provided for us. And he taught us this week. And, and you know, it was through, uh, through finances in this instance that he taught me. But he said, Colby, I, I provide for everything you need. Like I'm able to provide. I know what you need. I know what the church needs. I know all of your needs. And guess what? He knows more than just our financial needs. He knows the needs of our heart. He knows the needs of our mind. He knows every single one of you in a way that is intimate. He knows exactly where you are currently and what you might say bread you need today. And he's able to provide. See, Advent, and you can look at your outline at this point, Advent gives hope of better bread, of better bread. See, this was really good bread that the Israelites received here in chapter 16. And God gave it to them. He satisfied their bellies. He did it over and over and over again. He would continue to satisfy them the entire time they were in the wilderness. And, And God knows how to take care of our physical needs today. If you ate breakfast, God knows how to take care of your physical needs. He he was able to feed you uh, this morning through whatever means it ended up on your table. It was from God. God is able to provide for us, but there is a better bread. Better than Barton bread. I can't imagine, it's hard to imagine, but better than Barton bread, better than heaven bread that they received in chapter 16. Better than the bread the angels eat. And you'll remember this if we go all the way to John chapter 6. You've got a really tired and hangry people. They've been following Jesus and they've been listening to his teachings and they are just so hungry and they don't know what to do. And you've got some hangry disciples as well and they start trying to figure out how to solve these problems and dilemmas. And they come up with really fleshly ways of dealing with people. One is, let's just get out of here is basically their, their plan. Let's run while they're hangry. Uh, but, but what happens is this, is Jesus knowing how to provide exactly what the people needed. He actually took a little kid's lunchbox and you'll remember he multiplied it and he fed them uh, bread and, and fish. All of them, it's a multitude. 5,000 men, maybe 20,000 people. He feeds all of them. In fact, there's 12 baskets left over. The very next day, the people, they go looking for Jesus. And Jesus stops them and he says, hey, I know why you're here. You're here because, not because you wanna heed my word, not because you wanna hear what I say, but because you want me to feed you again. You want that bread. And he says, but I wanna tell you something. I am the true bread. I want to read for you exactly the words of Christ. Verse 31 of chapter six of John. He says, our fathers, they ate the manna in the wilderness. See that connection there? Look what we just did. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Are, are you hearing Advent here? 
You recognizing some Christmas speaking here? They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst again. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. That's the word of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the bread from heaven. He uses that crazy language, eat of me and you'll never be hungry again. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's what Jesus proclaims to the crowd. And listen to me, church. He proclaims the same thing to us today. Receive Christ. He is enough. He is enough. Um, Katie, can you flip the picture up of, of Hazel real quick? Boom, look at that girl. I'm trying to put some pictures in your head here. One, so that you know how cute my kids are. And two, to help drive home God's word. Now, this is Hazel, who seriously is cute. Did I say that? Uh, She is eating a chunk of Miss Doris's bread. Now, what was really good about this is right before this, she was really hangry. She was mad. We gave her this bread. She ate of it. And she was very pleased. Look at her eating that bread. I want you to remember in this moment that God, he is providing for you every single thing that you need. But when we eat of him, when we receive him, when we understand who Christ is and what he's done and the beauty of his death on our behalf and his life granted to us and given to us, we will never have to eat of anything again. He is enough. We won't need more of him, he is enough himself. There's nothing greater. May we delight and eat of the love of our God as my little Hazel is eating right there. As the writer of Psalm 34 says, taste and see that our God is good. Taste and see that the Lord, he is good. So Advent gives us hope of better bread. Secondly, I want you to see that Advent gives hope of better water. And, and Katie, real quick, one more picture, one more picture. Give, give me the whole fam there real fast. Okay. Now I don't have an illustration for this picture. I just felt like I gave Annie and I gave Hazel. I needed to get Lucy up there somehow. So there they are, all three of my girls uh, currently right there. And by the way, we didn't have time to do our Christmas card. So there it is for you. Merry Christmas. (laughs) Merry Christmas. There it is from the Michets. Okay. All right. Enough of that. Go back to the, to the sermon. All right. Better. We need not only, we don't only receive hope of better bread, but secondly, better water, better water. Chapter 17 tells us, again, of a people who are grumbling. So they receive bread from heaven. They receive meat from heaven. God is literally giving them everything they need, but now they're parched. 
Now they're thirsty. And so they begin to grumble again. And they say, oh, that we were back in Egypt, you know, where they had water. And, and they start complaining again. This time, the Lord is going to tell Moses to go with his staff, hit the rock. And when you hit the rock, I'm going to provide for them water. And so God gives them water straight out of a rock. And you know that water was good. You know it was. It was quenching, I'm sure. They drank of the water. So he's giving them food and he's giving them water to drink. I want to read for you out of the book of John. This is John chapter four, another statement that Jesus is going to make. And we're going to see this connection in scripture of this, of this water that was given to the Israelites there in Exodus 17, that is actually a shadow of something that is greater that will come in Christ. Jesus meets a lady, a, a lady, he meets her at a well and, and, and she has many things going on in her life. She has many struggles. She's had some major relationship issues and she's trying to avoid people. But she finds that you can't really avoid Christ when he pursues. And so Christ, he, he comes, he meets her at the well and he begins to tell her about the needs in her life. He asked her for a cup of water. She is very confused about this. And, and, and he says, well, if you knew who I was, it wouldn't be me asking for water. You would have asked me for water. And I would have granted you living water. Water that when you drink of it, you will never be thirsty again. And she must have thought, what does he talk about? She said, sir, give me this water always. I would love this kind of water. I won't ever have to come to the well again. But he, of course, was talking once again more than something physical. He was talking about something that he could provide only in himself. See, there's a good kind of thirst. In fact, all of us are born hungry and thirsty. You hunger and you thirst for that which the flesh cannot provide. The problem is we're sinners and we try to provide for the yearnings of our flesh with more flesh. And so you're born needing acceptance and love and care. You're needing purpose and meaning. And yet you seek for it in all of these places. And yet it is only the Lord, only the Lord Jesus that can provide what you need. I want to read for you out of the book of Psalms and out of the book of Isaiah. And I want you to see just the way that the Lord speaks of this yearning and his ability to provide for us. Hear this beautiful reading of God's word. This is Psalm 63. This is a good thirst and it's a thirst met by the Lord. <clears throat> David writes, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you, my soul thirst." for you. My flesh faints for you. And look at the picture as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. 
My lips will praise you and so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Verse five, I love this language. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. See, David understood that what he needed to satisfy his hunger, what he needed to satisfy his thirst was God himself, was God. Only God could provide. The steadfast love of God is better than life. You need to hear it today. If you're seeking satisfaction from from the world and, and from the flesh, you won't find it. You won't find it. You will continue to wake up thirsty. You'll continue to wake up hungry. And it's God who says to us through his word, let me provide for you what you seek. Oh, I love Isaiah 55. Let's read it, uh, church. Isaiah 55, starting in verse one. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come by and eat. Come by wine and milk without money and without price. Listen to the question. Let this be spoken into your heart today. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. Verse six says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Jesus is here. The living water, the bread from heaven. Allow him to speak life into your life and you to be satisfied with him. John chapter seven, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believe in him who believed in him were to receive for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Lord quenching thirst by the very presence of his spirit in his people. What I'm saying to you is this, it's coming straight from God's word from cover to cover. Only Christ can satisfy your heart. Only Christ can satisfy your heart. We must eat of him. How? By taking in his promised word and believing it. His word greater than bread, his promises greater than that that were found in Exodus 16 and 17. The promise of forever being loved by a covenantal God, a God who keeps his promises. He always comes through with what he says he will do for us. 
God loves you. And the Christmas season proclaims that to you. He loves you so much that he came. And he gives himself to you to be received and to live with us forever. I want you to see finally the book of Exodus. Man, this is a this is an interesting book, man. Just filled, filled with truth that, that yearns to be fulfilled. Filled with pictures and promises that, are, that must be fulfilled for them to make sense. I want you to see, not only does Advent give hope of better bread and better water, but Advent gives hope of a better covenant, of a better covenant. In chapter 20 of the book of Exodus, God is going to give his people commandments. In fact, there's 10 of them. You know, it's 10 commandments. And it's going to begin uh, right there explaining a covenant that he has with a people. He, he loves Israel. And God makes a covenant, he enters into a relationship with them. And the relationship is really defined by these terms. Here is my love to you. Here's how I will describe it. I want to set you apart as a people who know me and they know my word and they follow me. And so God gives them these more than rules, but he gives them these rules. It's God's heart for them. And he says, here is everything that I desire for you to do. Do these and you'll live. Obey this and you'll live. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. Chapter 24, verse 7. Then he took the book of the covenant. This is uh, Moses reading it. He read it in the hearing of the people and they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and he threw it on the people. That's an interesting statement, but it makes sense in context. Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all of these words. It's a people that they, they get excited and they know that God loves them. And when they see the love of God and his care for them and they catch it, they say, we'll do anything you ask. Anything that you say will do. We love you. We're for you. We're your people. Oh, moments later. Moments later. I'll give you the clearest picture. Six, no. Eight chapters later. Chapter 32. Moses is hearing from God. He's talking to God on behalf of the people. He's talking to the Lord. And they forget him. They forget what he's doing. They act like they don't even know who he is anymore. They say, we, we don't know what's become of this Moses guy. Aaron, Aaron, come here. You're Moses's brother. Can you do us a favor? Can you make for us a golden image so we can worship it? And Aaron says, sure. And so he takes their gold and he takes her jewelry, he throws them into fire and he says, out popped a on a golden calf and this calf is there and they worship this golden image and they say, oh, you, oh, golden calf, it is you that delivered us from Egypt. What? I mean, seriously, have you ever read this and just been like, are you kidding me? 
man, God, we need a better covenant. I mean, we would have done the same thing. In fact, we do the same thing. Every single one of us, Romans 1 says, we have taken creation and we have worshiped it instead of the creator. We have looked to creation for what only the creator could give us. And we need a better covenant because the covenant that God gave his people, they they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. But you, I believe, know this. God didn't go to plan B. He stuck with plan A. Plan A involved a covenant that would be broken, a a covenant that didn't have a shot for people to actually fulfill because God was teaching the people something, teaches us something. God knows what we need. He knew about the greater bread. God knows about the greater water. The Lord knew about the greater covenant that only this little broken, shattered covenant that shadows could show us the beauty of the one that was to come. The book of Exodus teaches us for the rest. And if you, if you will, just open up with me uh, to, to Exodus. We're going to just point at a few places so you can see that I'm not making this stuff up. Look, look with me at, we'll start in verse, I'm in chapter, let's see. Probably should have my Bible already open to there. Look with me at chapter 25. I'm just going to point to you headings. And so you understand that this is what Exodus is is unfolding for Moses and for God's people. He's going to teach them how to set up life so that they worship God. He's actually going to teach them how to set up life for people who break covenants. He's going to set up a situation where there's a place to worship. There's a way to sacrifice. There is a cost that you must pay to know me. And here it is before you. There in chapter 25, you'll see a heading around verse 10, the Ark of the Covenant. And so we learn about the, the, the Ark of the Covenant. We learn about the mercy seat. This is the place where God would meet with the high priest. We see uh, a table for bread there in verse 23. We see the golden lampstand, uh, verse 31. Chapter 26 tells us about the tabernacle. This is the actual place. This is the holy place where God would come and meet. This is where the Ark of the Covenant would, uh, where it would sit. We see the tabernacle or the tent of Meeting verse 20, uh, chapter 28 talks about the priest's garments. And in doing that talks about the priest. And so we learn about the priest and we will see as the law unfolds more about the priest and how they uh, set themselves apart to do that job and, and how they will sacrifice what it looks like for them to do that, how they offer up animals to the Lord. We, we see Uh, All of these things described, we see the Sabbath described in chapter 31 and and on and on. And the the point is is this, is, is that the Lord in Exodus, he's going to describe for the people, this is what it looks like to worship me. The book of Leviticus is gonna go into even greater detail about this is what it looks like to give an animal 
so that you may worship, for an animal to die so that you can live. This is what it looks like and what it costs to worship me. This is what it looks like to be my people. And every single word, every passage of Exodus and Leviticus, they're teaching us something about God. They're teaching us that God, he's holy. They're teaching us that sin is deadly, that sacrifice is necessary, and that only Jesus Christ is worthy. Only Jesus Christ is worthy. What they're doing is they're painting a picture for us so that when we see the fulfillment of Christ, when we see him risen victorious over sin and death, that we can look back at Exodus and Leviticus. We can look back at the tabernacle and the, and the priest and the sacrifices and we can greater appreciate, understand the beauty of Christ and who he is for us. There's a New Testament book that, is literally all about this. And it's the book of Hebrews. If, if I could describe Hebrews for you, I would say that the book is describing that Jesus Christ, he's better. He's better. Jesus is better. I, I wanna read for you just a couple of examples here as we close of this better covenant. Look, look with me. <clears throat> look with me at chapter eight. Chapter 8 of the book of Hebrews. This is the word of our God. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now the point is that we are saying this. If we have such a high priest, this is Jesus, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all. Since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Look with me at chapter nine, verse 11. The writer of Hebrews is gonna to continue to talk about this better covenant because we have a better savior. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, one not made with hands, that is not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. 
chapter 10, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of this reality. Do you hear that? I'm not making this word shadows up. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Verse 11, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all times those who were being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit bears witness to us For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declare the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Church, read with me verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, the second advent drawing near. We have the hope of better bread, better water, And church, we live in and we have the hope of better covenant. A covenant that God himself made with us, that God alone came to this earth and he lived out what we could never live out. And he died in our place. He rose for our life. And for us who receive him, who look to him, who believe in him, we are welcomed into the very family of God. Jennifer, I want to ask if you would come. And as she comes, we're going to sing a song that we have been singing weekly. And this is a song that I believe very clearly points to us the, the beauty of the gospel, the, the birth of Christ, the, the coming of Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection his return. So church, as we sing this song, I want to ask if you would to stand. And as we do, let's respond to God's word. And if there's any part of you that has been trying to utilize creation to meet the needs that only the creator can uh, provide, come to him, come to him today, turn to this God today He loves to provide 
for his children. Come to Christ today, the, the true bread, the living water, the mediator of a better covenant. Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we love you.